The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In these well-known words of Jesus to Nicodemus are centered a profound truth, a truth almost as profound as all of the rest that we have been exploring the very foundations of the Christian faith, the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the very love of the Father for his Son, the love of the Father for this lost world. But if it were not for this profound truth that Jesus opens to the ears of Nicodemus, it would all be for naught. Were it not for this one profound truth, All of Christ's sacrifice, all of that suffering, all of that pain, all of that agony, everything that he did, yes, even his grand and triumphant resurrection, it would all be for naught. And why is that? Why is that? And who is this one who is so important as to make the difference between success or failure in Christ's sacrifice. Who is he, and what else did he do? These are some themes that we will be exploring today as we walk out again through the beautiful expanse of nature. But before we go on our journey, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, you have taught us your word You have opened to us in the pages of Scripture truths that are too wonderful even to describe or imagine. And again today, Lord, as we are out here, surrounded by the beauties of your creation, I pray that you will guide our minds and our hearts, guide the minds and hearts of those who are listening in today, that we may be filled with your Spirit and that we may have a full and deep measure of your grace and come to a better understanding of who you are. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get going. We're talking, of course, about the Holy Spirit or, as the King James Version says, the Holy Ghost. Now, it is true, you won't find a lot of stories in the Bible about the Holy Ghost that is not outside of the book of Acts. But if you look carefully, you will find that the Holy Spirit is mentioned all throughout the New Testament, perhaps in the background of every single story, leading, guiding, enabling, and empowering the players in the story to fulfill their God-given roles. You know, it's very much like the nature of God. Remember how we discussed that God exists in relationship among himself and within and with the creatures whom he has created. Just as soon as we open the New Testament, we find at the birth, at the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit playing a crucial role 
in that part, in that planting of that baby Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And then at the opening of Jesus' ministry, as he went down to the Jordan River, we find the Holy Spirit appearing again. Matthew chapter 3 says this about Jesus' baptism. In Matthew 3 and verse 16, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom... I am well pleased. It's very interesting. This is perhaps one of very few accounts that we have in which we actually see the Holy Spirit in bodily form. Jesus, who is the Son of God, we've established that in our previous discussions and messages, exploring out here through the woods. Jesus comes down to the Jordan River. And there he asks his cousin, John, who was sent to be his forerunner, to bring him down and to baptize him there, to dip him down below the waters of the river and to raise him back up again. And as he is baptized there, in symbol of what he is going to do at the end of his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection, as he is baptized there and comes up out of the water. It is as though all three persons of the Godhead give their blessing to the ministry that the Son is about to perform. The Holy Spirit comes down. Now the Holy Spirit is not the same as Jesus because here we see the Holy Spirit coming down in a bodily form that is different than Jesus. And then a voice whom we know to be the voice of the Father, speaks and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know, there are a lot of people today who have various and different ideas about who God is, who is the Son, and who is this Spirit that the Bible talks about. Well, I'm not here to get into a debate today, but I want us to explore the Bible and find out a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and what is his role in Christ's ministry and what is his role in the world today. Let's keep on exploring. The very next verses in Matthew's Gospel Tell us a little more about the Spirit's role in Jesus' life. It says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, there's a lot in this verse. Did God, the Spirit, lead Jesus into temptation? Well, Jesus himself prayed and taught his disciples to pray, Lead us not 
into temptation. And yet I think it's very important here that the Spirit is leading Jesus. The Spirit knows the mission that Jesus is to accomplish. And Jesus in his human form submits himself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Does this mean that Jesus is subordinate to the Holy Spirit or that the Holy Spirit is subordinate to Jesus? Well, yes, both. Because remember what we said about the nature of God. One of the attributes of love is this mutual submission. And here we see Jesus in his human form submitting to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Even when that leading takes him places that naturally perhaps he or any human being wouldn't want to go. And I believe it's true for us today too that the Holy Spirit will lead us. Not necessarily into temptation, not into trial, although sometimes that happens. But he will lead us in the center of God's will. Speaking of leading, let's keep on going on our journey. It was late in the evening when Nicodemus found Jesus there, alone. What was it that led him there? Certainly a bit of curiosity. He had heard about the teacher, this teacher from Nazareth, who was drawing the crowds to himself, who was, who was turning, it seems, the world upside down with his strange and unusual teachings. But no doubt, no doubt too, the Spirit of God was working upon his heart. He wanted to know. He wanted to know what made Jesus so different. And of course, we find this interview recorded in the third chapter of the Gospel of John. Nicodemus, it says, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. He's trying to flatter Jesus, to, to butter him up, to, to, to uh, say, well, almost a condescending tone in his respect. We know that you are a teacher come from God. We know this. But Jesus, in his first words, his first words there to Nicodemus, starts to turn his world upside down. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To be born again? Nicodemus pretends not to understand at all what Jesus is talking about. How can a man be born again when he is old? How can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? and be born. This just doesn't make any sense, Jesus. What are you talking about? But Jesus says again, very plainly, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? What does it mean to be born again? This is what Jesus is getting at in his conversation with Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus, you think that you're all right. You think that you're okay. You think that you have everything together. But I'm telling you, Nicodemus, Jesus is, is saying, as it were, I'm telling you, you need a total transformation. You don't need to just make a little adjustment in your way of thinking. You need a total transformation from living your life the way that you believe you should live it, and to begin living your life following someone else. It'll be so different, it will be as if you died and were born again 
a completely different person. But Nicodemus is wondering, what does it mean? How can someone be born again? What does it mean? What is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And here, my friends, I believe is a key to understanding the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to work upon our hearts, to transform our hearts. But just like the air that is all around us, just like the breeze, just like the wind, we cannot see it. We cannot see him working upon the hearts of men. We cannot see him coming into our hearts and lives. But we can see the results. Just a few days ago, a terrible windstorm came through the south, through Georgia and Tennessee, and the results were devastating. We could not see the wind, but we could see the results of the wind. If you go out on a spring evening and you look as the wind gently blows through the leaves, you can't see the wind, but you can see the leaves moving. You can see the trees moving. You can hear its sound. Jesus is saying it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. You may not be able to see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the work of the Holy Spirit. And what the Spirit is wanting to do in you is a transformation, to work a transformation in your heart and life that will be as if you're a totally, completely new person. Of course, Jesus goes on in this discussion to talk to Nicodemus about how he himself would be lifted up, lifted up on a cross. How God, the God of heaven, gave his only Son. And this is, of course, where we find that most famous verse, that we have been discussing this whole time. John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. This was the message, the heart of the gospel message that God was giving to Nicodemus. But right here, connected with this gospel message, is this message of a changed and renewed heart, a message of a restored life, a message of a life changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. To understand the heart of Nicodemus' question, and really to get at the heart of Jesus' answer, let's go to the story of another ruler who came to Jesus with a question. We find this story in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, I'll begin reading in verse 18. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, even here we have a bit of a paradox in this question. He asks, What shall I do to inherit? Now let me ask you, what do you do in order to inherit something? Well, you don't do anything. Inheritance generally isn't based on things that you do. It's based upon the death of someone who owns something and has willed it to you. So even in the question, the, the, the ruler, he must have been a wise young man, leaves something to be desired. 
But Jesus goes on to answer him in the way that perhaps he would have expected at first. Verse 19, So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Jesus tells this young ruler, What have you been doing? Have you been keeping the commandments? And he goes on to list several of the Ten Commandments, to which he replies, All these I have kept from my youth. I ought to be good, Jesus. I have been good. Does that mean I've got the ticket to get into the kingdom? To have this eternal life that you speak so fondly of? Notice Jesus' words. So when Jesus heard these things, he said, You still lack one thing. You still lack one thing. What? What could he lack? After all, he's kept all of the commandments. He's done everything right. But Jesus says you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now I've always wondered why was Jesus so hard on this young man? Did Jesus just invent another commandment since he was so, doing so good at the ones that he was keeping? Jesus invented another one and threw it on him and said, here, this one, keep this one too. Is that the way Jesus is? No, not at all. After all, as we know, Jesus was that word who spoke the commandments from Mount Sinai. There was nothing wrong with the commandments. But you see, Jesus is pointing out something that's very important. And I think it's important for us to take note of. It's something that Nicodemus didn't understand there on that night visit. And it's something even that many Christians don't understand today. And that is this. Without the love of God in our hearts, we can pretend to keep all of the Ten Commandments. We can do a pretty good job on the outside of trying to keep those commandments. But without the love of God in our hearts, we cannot truly keep one of them. You see, Jesus is saying to this rich young ruler, if you truly know the heart of God, if you truly knew who I was, if you truly had God's love in your heart, then you would gladly sell everything. Your one and only priority would be to serve me. And is that what the rich young ruler did? Sadly, no. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Rich in this world's possessions. Rich in the abundance of his own heart. But too rich to allow God to transform his heart. You see, that's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be transformed. You must die to everything that you ever were, everything that you, ever, that you are, everything that you ever hoped to be. And as it were, crawl back in your mother's womb and come out with nothing. But this time, coming out and being born of water, the waters of a grave of baptism, and being born of the Spirit. To allow the Spirit of God, that Holy Spirit that we've been talking about, 
to transform his heart. This is what Jesus wanted to do for Nicodemus. This is what Jesus wanted to do for this rich young ruler. And this is what Jesus wants to do for you. The question is, will you let him? We've been talking about the role and work of the Holy Spirit and how, if we let him, the Holy Spirit will work to transform our hearts and our lives into the image of Christ. But have you ever met someone who just didn't have any interest at all in spiritual things? Maybe you've been there yourself, where it seemed as though the pages of this book were as dry as the pages of an ancient history book, where it seemed as though nothing was connecting with your heart. You know, that is one of the most important roles of the Holy Spirit, to help us to see, to help us to long for, to help us to yearn for spiritual things. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We don't know what God has in store for us. But how can we know? Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of the the deep things of God. Who knows what is in God's heart? Well, God does. And the Holy Spirit knows the heart of God. But the Holy Spirit can do something else very, very special for us. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. But look at this in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Do you get what Paul is saying here? That even though we we don't, we can't understand God, yet we can by the Holy Spirit. Because things that it's impossible for human beings to understand we can understand when he dwells and lives within us. He teaches us the things of God. He draws us to God. You see, this whole world is hopelessly separated from God. We've been talking about that, this, in this whole series of walks that we have taken out in nature. How we are so far separated from God that we don't even desire, we don't even want to come to him to serve him. And yet, by his provenient grace, that is, the grace that God gives to all men, he makes his sun to shine on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. In the same way, God sends his Holy Spirit to work upon the hearts of all. Jesus says, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And in the lifting up of Christ, the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and draws us out to him. And then it says that he teaches us about these things of God. You know, we have God's word. 
We have the pages of this book that tell us about the life of Christ. But it is not the ink and paper that gives life and strength to our hearts. But it is the speaking of the Holy Spirit, speaking to us through the pages of his word and speaking to us through our minds and through our hearts that gives us understanding about who God is. Let's go on. These things also, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We cannot understand the things that are spiritual, but we can because of the Holy Spirit. But that's not all the Holy Spirit does for us. Let's keep going. How else does God's Holy Spirit touch our lives? Well, for one, the Holy Spirit brings us grace, strength, and comfort. Jesus says in the oft-repeated verse, If you love me, keep my commandments. And we so often say this in reference to how Jesus wants us to keep his law, which is so true. But in the context, he goes on to describe the gift that he wants to give, the love gift that he wants to give to each and every believer. We find that in John chapter 14 and verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Some translations say comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Notice the beautiful and intimate relationship between Jesus, his heavenly Father, and the Holy Spirit. Notice how he prays to the Father, that the Father will send the Comforter. Remember a moment ago we talked about how Jesus submitted to the Holy Spirit, but now it seems that both the Father and the Holy Spirit are submitting to Jesus in answer to his prayer, to come not for his own benefit, but for the benefit of his followers, of his weak and humble believers. The world cannot know or receive. Why? Well, they have opportunity to know, because the Holy Spirit is working with all. And yet only those who are willing will receive the Holy Spirit in power to receive this comfort, to receive this hope. I love this whole discussion that Jesus gives in John chapter 14. We've been talking about it in our prayer meeting together. But let's go on to chapter 14, verse 25. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Have you ever been in a difficult situation and you just wish that you could have a word of comfort from the Lord, from the Lord, a bit of encouragement, an encouraging verse. And then just in a flash, at just the right moment, it seems as though the words of scripture will come to mind. That's the Holy Spirit, friends. He speaks to us. 
He brings those words to us. Jesus was telling his disciples here that soon he wouldn't be with them anymore in person. And their hearts were grieved. They couldn't bear the thought of being separated from their beloved master, the beloved teacher whom they had lived with, ate with, slept with for years. But he says, I'm giving you someone better. I'm introducing you to someone who will always be with you. And as long as he is with you, I am with you, he says. I am with you always. He says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And he says, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Oh, there's so many words of comfort, my friends, in the pages of the Holy Scripture. And the most beautiful are the ones that speak to us of that one who is with us forever. In fact, the scripture says that he lives within our hearts. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You see, because the Holy Spirit lives within us, because he speaks to us through our minds, it behooves us in everything that we do to honor our bodies as though we were honoring the very temple of God. Because in truth, God does dwell in us and with us. Not as though he were to make us into divinity, no, but because of the relationship, that love relationship that he wants to have with us, he dwells with us and in us. And he wants us to keep our bodies the same way as if he was visibly and physically present with us. He lives in our hearts. And Jesus lives in our hearts through that person of the Holy Spirit. I love the words of Romans 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Have you ever wanted to pray? Have you ever been in such dire need that you just you couldn't think of the words to speak? I take comfort in this verse, my friends, because no matter how eloquent our prayers are, or no matter how feeble they are, the Holy Spirit is the one who receives those prayers and carries them and interprets them as it, as it were to the Father in heaven who loves us just as much as the Son and the Spirit. But that is the Spirit's role, to hear our prayers, no matter how silently we may whisper them, or even if it's just a thought, and to take those prayers to the heavenly throne. And the mighty arm of omnipotence then can move in our behalf because of the intercession of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus' grace. The Holy Spirit brings our prayers to God, but not only that, the Holy Spirit empowers the Gospel Commission. Jesus said to his disciples, there, just before he ascended up to heaven, in his resurrected form, after he was raised from the dead, he says these words in Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then he gives this beautiful promise. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Notice how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all mentioned together in this verse. There are so many who want to make them separate, make them different, make, make the Holy Spirit into something less than a person or personality. And yet, Jesus himself commanded that when new believers are baptized, they're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As we continue the gospel story, after Jesus ascends to heaven, we see the Holy Spirit taking center stage in the work. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when? After, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There's a beautiful promise here. The promise that Jesus made of power that his followers would receive, power to fulfill the gospel commission, power through the Holy Spirit. And we see that fulfilled only a few verses later in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Oh, it sends chills down my spine to think of that gathering there in the upper room. When the Holy Spirit came upon the believers with power, and in a day they went out, they proclaimed the gospel message, the message of Jesus, the crucified and risen Savior. It wasn't humble fishermen who were speaking. It wasn't poor tax collectors who were speaking. No, it was the Holy Spirit speaking through these men. And as they spoke and as they preached, this tiny band of believers became a worldwide movement, powered not by human power or human authority, but by the power of God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, that same one who brought power to the early Christian church, the same one who guided Jesus in his earthly ministry, that same Holy Spirit is still with his church and with his people today. You know that the heart of God longs for companionship. That is the essence of love. And I know that each one of us, as we are going through this crisis that the world is facing, through this staying at home because of the coronavirus. We're longing for companionship. We're longing to get together 
with family, with church family. We're deep down in our hearts. We're lonely. We want to experience love. And this, my friends, I believe, is the heart of God. He wants to experience love from us, his creatures. I love the words of Jesus in John chapter 16, speaking again of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. He gives us again in review all of these principles that we've already discussed. Let's turn there to John chapter 16 and verse 7. Jesus, of course, is telling his disciples that he is going away, and they're grieved, they're heartbroken at this thought that he will no longer be with them in person. But there in John chapter 16, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. You see, Jesus, when he came to this earth, when he took our human nature, he gave up a part of that divine nature, that ability to be everywhere at once, just like the wind or like the air that we breathe. And yet, the Holy Spirit still has that. And as his personal representative, the Holy Spirit comes into this world as the representative of Christ, being everywhere at the same time. And so... He can give you a hug, and he can give me a hug, and he can give my family and my friends a hug. Even if we can't be there together in person, the same Holy Spirit can be there, wrapping his arms, just as the arms of Christ, around each one of his followers. What did we say the role of the Holy Spirit was? Well, one of those first roles of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction to our hearts, to make us long for God, to make us long for his love, to make us realize our need of him. Notice the words of Jesus in John 16 and verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now what does it mean that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin? It means that the Holy Spirit shows us the sinfulness of sin. It shows us the, the result of our separation from God, the result of those things that are in our hearts that keep us out of relationship with God. This is what we call the provenient grace that we've already talked about. It makes our hearts long to restore that relationship with God. But it doesn't stop with sin. It says that he will convict the world of righteousness. What does it mean to be convicted of righteousness. Well, you see, when we realize our need, when we realize our sinfulness, then the Holy Spirit, God, through God's grace, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and transforms our lives as we allow him to. And that transformation that Jesus spoke to, to Nicodemus about then becomes a reality in each and every one of our lives as we allow the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts of righteousness. As we behold Christ through faith in heaven, standing there pleading before the Father, pleading the merits of his blood, we allow him to apply that blood to our lives through the grace of the Holy Spirit, making us actually clean, cleansing our guilt, and then transforming our characters into the likeness of his character. 
He will convict the world of righteousness. I love the verse in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Have you heard the gentle, silent promptings of the Holy Spirit? He is with us and he can speak to us words from the pages of the Bible. Words that we may not know where they come from, but we know that they are the words of God. And he can guide us, convicting us and leading us in the paths of righteousness. Paul describes this transformation, living by the Spirit, in this way. He says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he describes the fruit of this life of living in the Spirit. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he adds, against such, there is no law. My friends, when the Holy Spirit lives in us, guides us, and transforms our life, he convicts us of that righteousness, and he enables us to live that life of righteousness, transforming our hearts so that our hearts are overflowing with love, joy, and peace, and all of that fruit of the Spirit. But there's more. Jesus says in the Gospel, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. Right now, we know from the Scripture that we are living in a very, very special time in this world's history. The very beginning of God's judgment. As those record books are being opened in heaven and the case of everyone is being decided. It says in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. You see, the Holy Spirit convicts us and helps us to understand where we are and where we live in the prophetic timeline of this earth's history. It helps us to understand the result of our choices. It places, yes, sometimes fear, but also faith in our hearts. And as one who is lifting the veil from the future, it helps us to, to discern in the signs that we see all around us, the happenings that are happening even now, today, it helps us to discern the finger and the hand of God moving and to know that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus says again in John 16, verses 12 and 13, he says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. My friends, as I open the pages of this book, I don't have to live in fear, wondering what the future holds. 
It's not a dusty book from the ages of the past. How can I say that? Because the very one who inspired the pages of this word, the very one who inspired the authors to write these words, is now here and present with every believer, interpreting and guiding our understanding to know and teaching us, as Jesus said, teaching us all truth, everything that we need to know to get us to our heavenly home. Friends, I want to ask you, do you have this precious, this priceless gift of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to have God's Holy Spirit living in your heart every day, every moment, guiding, teaching, directing, transforming your life, and being a constant companion to you until that day when we can wrap our arms around Jesus in our heavenly home? I want that gift. But how can we get it? Well, Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, He says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's that simple. All we have to do is ask Him. He's already working on our hearts. He's already working on your heart drawing you, saying, I want to come in. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice, I will come into him and sup with him and sit with him and he with me. My friends, Jesus, through the person of his Holy Spirit, is knocking on the door of your heart. He wants to come in. He wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with him, all of these blessings that we have discussed. And the question is, will you let him? Let's ask him right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this precious gift of your Holy Spirit. The one who makes the pages of this book not just a dry history book, but a blessed assurance because we know in our hearts that it is true. We know that you have come, you have died to save us, and that you are forever with us, that you will never leave us and never forsake us. And Lord, during this very difficult time, as we are perhaps separated from friends and loved ones, as our lives are in perhaps an upheaval, we don't know what the future holds, but Lord, we know that you have everything in control. And we pray right now, like never before, that you will give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, each one of us individually and collectively as your church, that we may have the power to go forth boldly to proclaim the truth of your word to a world who is hurting and in need. And Lord, even then, we know that you will go before us like you did in the days of the apostles, through the Holy Spirit, bringing conviction to hearts of men, women, and children everywhere. Lord, may this be our experience. May we abide with you, and may your Spirit abide in our hearts today. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad that you could join me on this walk. I don't know how many more times we will be 
walking out here in the woods before I will be back in the pulpit and church. But I want to encourage you, during the coming hours, maybe this afternoon, maybe this week, I want you to pick up the telephone and call someone. Encourage them. Tell them to go and watch this video. Encourage them to connect with our online Sabbath schools. If you, ha- if you don't have a church home, please message us through our Facebook page or through our website. Get in touch with us, and we'll be glad to give you a call. We'll be glad to invite you to be part of our Sabbath school class or our Wednesday or Thursday prayer meetings that meet online now, but soon again, I, I believe, we will be meeting in person in our churches. I don't know how soon, but I want to encourage you. Until then, stay faithful and stay connected. And stay connected to God's Holy Spirit. God bless.